Chapter 9, Part 2 of Famous Stories Every Child Should Know. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines. Famous Stories Every Child Should Know. Edited by Hamilton Wright Maybe. Chapter 9, Part 2. The Nuremberg Stove by Louise de la Rame. Part 2. Tonight, Carl Strayler responded very wearily to the young one's welcome, and came to the wooden chair with a tired step and sat down heavily, not noticing either pipe or beer. "'Are you not well, dear father?' his daughter asked him. "'I am well enough,' he answered, dully, and sat there with his head bent, letting the lighted pipe grow cold." He was a fair, tall man, gray before his time, and bowed with labor. "'Take the children to bed,' he said, suddenly, at last, and Dorothea obeyed. August stayed behind, curled before the stove, at nine years old, and when one earns money in the summer from the farmers, one is not altogether a child any more, at least in one's own estimation. August did not heed his father's silence. He was used to it. Carl Strela was a man of few words, and being of weakly health, was usually too tired at the end of the day to do more than drink his beer and sleep. August lay in the wolfskin, dreamy and comfortable, looking up through his drooping eyelids at the golden coronets on the crest of the great stove, and wondering for the millionth time whom it had been made for, and what grand palaces and scenes it had known. Dorothea came down from putting the little ones in their beds. The cuckoo clock in the corner struck eight. She looked to her father and the untouched pipe, then sat down to her spinning, saying nothing. She thought he had been drinking in some tavern. It had been often so with him of late. There was a long silence. The cuckoo called the quarter twice. August dropped asleep, his curls falling over his face. Dorothea's wheel hummed like a cat. Suddenly, Carl Strela struck his hand on the table, sending the pipe to the ground. I have sold Hirschvogel, he said, and his voice was husky and ashamed in his throat. The spinning wheel stopped. August sprang erect out of his sleep. Sold Hirschvogel? If their father had dashed the holy crucifix on the floor at their feet and spat on it, they could not have shuddered under the horror of a greater blasphemy. I have sold Hirschvogel, said Karl Strela, in the same husky, dogged voice. I have sold it to a traveling trader, in such things, for two hundred florins. What would you? I owe double that. He saw it this morning when you were all out. He will pack it and take it to Munich tomorrow. Dorothea gave a low, shrill cry. Oh, father, the children, in midwinter! She turned white as the snow without. Her words died away in her throat. August stood, half blind with sleep, staring with dazed eyes as his cattle stared at the sun when they came out from their winter's prison. It is not true, it is not true, he muttered. Are you jesting, father? Strela broke into a dreary laugh. It is true. Would you like to know what is true, too, that the bread you eat and the meat you put in this pot and the roof you have over your heads 
are none of them paid for have been none of them paid for for months and months if it had not been for your grandfather i should have been in prison all summer and autumn and he is out of patience and will do no more now there is no work to be had the masters go to younger men they say i work ill it may be so who can keep his head above water with ten hungry children dragging him down when your mother lived it was different boy you stare at me as if i were a mad dog you have made a god of yon china thing well it goes goes to-morrow two hundred florins that is something it will keep me out of prison for a little and with the spring things may turn august stood like a creature paralyzed his eyes were wide open fastened on his father's with terror and incredulous horror his face had grown as white as his sister's his chest heaved with tearless sobs it is not true it is not true he echoed stupidly it seemed to him that the very skies must fall and the earth perish if they could take away hirschvogel they might as soon talk of tearing down god's son out of the heavens you will find it true said his father doggedly and angered because he was in his own soul bitterly ashamed to have bartered away the heirloom and treasure of his race and the comfort and health giver of his young children you will find it true the dealer has paid me half the money to-night and will pay me the other half to-morrow when he packs it up and takes it away to munich no doubt it is worth a great deal more at least i suppose so as he gives that but beggars cannot be choosers the little black stove in the kitchen will warm you all just as well who would keep a gilded painted thing in a poor house like this when one can make two hundred florins by it dorothea you never sobbed more when your mother died what is it when all is said a bit of hardware much too grand-looking for such a room as this if all the strelas had not been born fools it would have been sold a century ago when it was dug up out of the ground it is a stove for a museum the trader said when he saw it to a museum let it go august gave a shrill shriek like a hare's when it is caught for his death and threw himself on his knees at his father's feet oh father father he cried convulsively his hands closing on strela's knees and his uplifted face blanched and distorted with terror oh father dear father you cannot mean it what you say send it away our life our son our joy our comfort we shall all die in the dark and the cold sell me rather sell me to any trade or any pain you like i will not mind but hirschvogel it is like selling the very cross off the altar you must be in jest you could not do such a thing you could not you who have always been gentle and good and who have sat in the warmth here year after year with our mother it is not a piece of hardware as you say it is a living thing for a great man's thoughts and fancies have put life into it and it loves us though we were only poor little children and we love it with all our hearts and souls and up in heaven i am sure the dead hirschvogel knows oh listen i will go and try and get work to-morrow i will ask them to let me cut ice or make the paths through the snow there must be something i could do and i will beg the people we owe money to to wait they are all neighbors they will be patient but sell hirschvogel 
Oh, never, never, never. Give the florins back to the vile man. Tell him it would be like selling the shroud out of our mother's coffin, or the golden curls off Ermengilda's head. Oh, father, dear father, do hear me, for pity's sake. Strela was moved by the boy's anguish. He loved his children, though he was often weary of them, and their pain was pain to him. But beside emotion, and stronger than emotion, was the anger that August roused in him. He hated and despised himself for the barter of the heirloom of his race, and every word of the child stung him with a stinging sense of shame. And he spoke in his wrath rather than in his sorrow. "'You are a little fool,' he said harshly, as they had never heard him speak. "'You rave like a play-actor. Get up and go to bed. The stove is sold. There is no more to be said. Children like you have nothing to do with such matters. The stove is sold and goes to Munich tomorrow. "'What is it to you?' Be thankful. I can get bread for you. Get on your legs, I say, and go to bed. Strela took up the jug of ale as he paused, and drained it slowly as a man who had no cares. August sprang to his feet and threw his hair back off his face. The blood rushed into his cheeks, making them scarlet. His great soft eyes flamed alight with furious passion. You dare not, he cried aloud. You dare not sell it, I say. It is not yours alone, it is ours. Strela flung the empty jug on the bricks with a force that shivered it to atoms, and rising to his feet, struck his son a blow that felled him to the floor. It was the first time in all his life that he had ever raised his hand against any one of his children. Then he took the oil lamp that stood at his elbow and stumbled off to his own chamber with a cloud before his eyes. "'What has happened?' said August, a little while later, as he opened his eyes and saw Dorothea weeping above him on the wolf-skin before the stove. He had been struck backward, and his head had fallen on the hard bricks, where the wolf-skin did not reach. He sat up a moment, with his face bent upon his hands. "'Oh, I remember now,' he said, very low, under his breath. Dorothea showered kisses on him, while her tears fell like rain. "'But, oh, dear, how could you speak so to father?' she murmured. "'It was very wrong.' "'No, I was right,' said August, and his little mouth, that hitherto had only curled in laughter, curved downward with a fixed and bitter seriousness. "'How dare he! How dare he!' he muttered, with his head sunk in his hands. "'It is not his alone. It belongs to us all. It is as much yours and mine as it is his.' Dorothea could only sob in answer. She was too frightened to speak. The authority of their parents in the house had never in her remembrance been questioned. "'Are you hurt by the fall, dear August?' she murmured at length, for he looked to her so pale and strange. "'Yes, no, I do not know. What does it matter?' He sat up upon the wolf-skin with passionate pain upon his face. All his soul was in rebellion and he was only a child and was powerless. It is a sin. It is a theft. It is an infamy, he said slowly, his eyes fastened on the gilded feet of Hirschvogel. Oh, August, do not say such things, of father, sobbed his sister. Whatever he does, we ought to think it right. August laughed aloud. Is it right that he should spend his money in drink? That he should let orders lie unexecuted? 
that he should do his work so ill that no one cares to employ him, that he should live on grandfather's charity, and then dare sell a thing that is ours every whit as much as it is his, to sell Hirschvogel. Oh, dear God, I would sooner sell my soul. August, cried Dorothea, with piteous entreaty. He terrified her. She could not recognize her little gay gentle brother in those fierce and blasphemous words. August laughed aloud again. Then all at once his laughter broke down into the bitterest weeping. He threw himself forward on the stove, covering it with kisses, and sobbing as though his heart would burst from his bosom. What could he do? Nothing, nothing, nothing. August, dear August, whispered Dorothea piteously and trembling all over, for she was a very gentle girl, and fierce feeling terrified her. August, do not lie there. Come to bed. It is quite late. In the morning you will be calmer. It is horrible indeed, and we shall die of cold, at least the little ones. But if it be father's will, let me alone, said August through his teeth, striving to still the storms of sobs that shook him from head to foot. Let me alone. In the morning. How can you speak of the morning? Come to bed, dear, sighed his sister. Oh, August, do not lie and look like that. You frighten me. Do come to bed. I shall stay here. Here? All night? They might take it out in the night. Besides, to leave it now. But it is cold. The fire is out. It will never be warm any more, nor shall we. All his childhood had gone out of him. All his gleeful, careless, sunny temper had gone with it. He spoke sullenly and wearily, choking down the great sobs in his chest. To him it was if the end of the world had come. His sister lingered by him while striving to persuade him to go to his place in the little crowded bedchamber with Albrecht and Waldo and Christoph. But it was in vain. I shall stay here, was all he answered her. And he stayed all the night long. The lamps went out. The rats came and ran across the floor. As the hours crept on through midnight and past, the cold intensified, and the air of the room grew like ice. August did not move. He lay with his face downward on the golden and rainbow-hued pedestal of the household treasure, which henceforth was to be cold forevermore, an exiled thing in a foreign city in a far-off land. Whilst yet it was dark, his three elder brothers came down the stairs and let themselves out each bearing his lantern and going to his work in stone-yard and timber-yard and at the salt-works. They did not notice him. They did not know what had happened. A little later his sister came down with a light in her hand to make ready the house ere morning should break. She stole up to him and laid her hand on his shoulder timidly. Dear August, you must be frozen. August, do look up, do speak. August raised his eyes with a wild, feverish, sullen look in them that she had never seen there. His face was ashen white. His lips were like fire. He had not slept all night. But his passionate sobs had given way to delirious waking dreams and numb, senseless trances, which had alternated one on another all through the freezing, lonely, horrible hours. "'It will never be warm again,' he muttered. "'Never again.' Dorothea clasped him with trembling hands. August, you do not know me, she cried in an agony. I am Dorothea. Wake up, dear, wake up. It is morning, only so dark. 
August shuddered all over. The morning, he echoed. He slowly rose up onto his feet. I will go to grandfather, he said very low. He is always good. Perhaps he could save it. Loud blows with the heavy iron knocker of the house door drowned his words. A strange voice called aloud through the keyhole. Let me in quick. There is no time to lose. More snow than this, and the roads will all be blocked. Let me in. Do you hear? I am coming to take the great stove. August sprang erect, his fists doubled, his eyes blazing. You shall never touch it, he screamed. You shall never touch it. Who shall prevent us, laughed a big man, who was a Bavarian, amused at the fierce little figure fronting him. I, said August, you shall never have it. You shall kill me first. Strela, said the big man, as August's father entered the room, you have got a little mad dog here. Muzzle him. One way and another they did muzzle him. He fought like a little demon and hit out right and left, and one of his blows gave the Bavarian a black eye. But he was soon mastered by four grown men, and his father flung him with no light hand out from the door of the back entrance, and the buyers of the stately and beautiful stove set to work to pack it heedfully and carry it away. When Dorothea stole out to look for August, he was nowhere in sight. She went back to little Gilda, who was ailing, and sobbed over the child, whilst the others stood looking on, dimly understanding that the Hirschvogel was going all the warmth of their bodies, all the light of the hearth. Even their father now was very sorry and ashamed, but two hundred florins seemed a big sum to him, and after all he thought the children could warm themselves quite as well at the black iron stove in the kitchen. Besides, whether he regretted it now or not, the work of the Nuremberg potter was sold irrevocably, and he had to stand still and see the men from Munich wrap it in a manifold wrapping and bear it out into the snowy air to where an ox-cart stood in waiting for it. In another moment Hirschvogel was gone, gone forever, and I. August stood still for a time, leaning, sick and faint, from the violence that had been used to him against the back wall of the house. The wall looked on a court where a well was, and the backs of other houses, and beyond them the spire of the Muncie Tower and the peaks of the mountains. Into the court an old neighbor hobbled for water, and seeing the boy said to him, Child, is it true your father is selling the big painted stove? August nodded his head, then burst into a passion of tears. Well, for sure he is a fool, said the neighbor. Heaven forgive me for calling him so before his own child, but the stove was worth a mint of money. I do remember in my young days, in old Anton's time, that was your great-grandfather, my lad, a stranger from Vienna saw it, and said it was worth its weight in gold. August's sobs went on in their broken, impetuous course. I loved it, I loved it, he moaned. I do not care what its value was. I loved it, I loved it. You little simpleton, said the old man kindly, but you are wiser than your father when all said. If sell it he must, he should have taken it to good Herr Steiner over at Sprout's, who would have given him honest value. But no doubt they took him over his beer. Ay, ay, but if I were you, I would do better than cry. I would go after it. August raised his head, the tears raining down his cheeks. Go after it when you are bigger, said the neighbor, with a good-natured wish to cheer him up a little. The world is a small thing after all. 
I was a traveling clockmaker once upon a time, and I know that your stove will be safe enough whoever gets it. Anything that can be sold for a round sum is always wrapped up in cotton wool by everybody. Ay, ay, don't cry so much. You will see your stove again some day. Then the old man hobbled away to draw his brazen pail full of water at the well. August remained leaning against the wall. His head was buzzing, and his heart fluttered with the new idea which had presented itself to his mind. Go after it, had said the old man. He thought, why not go with it? He loved it better than anyone, even better than Dorothea, and he shrank from the thought of meeting his father again, his father who had sold Hirschvogel. He was by this time in that state of exaltation in which the impossible looks quite natural and commonplace. His tears were still wet on his pale cheeks, but they had ceased to fall. He ran out of the courtyard by a little gate and across to the huge Gothic porch of the church. From there he could watch unseen his father's house door, at which were always hanging some blue and gray pictures, such as are common and so picturesque in Austria, for a part of the house was let to a man who dealt in pottery. He hid himself in the grand portico, which he had so often passed through to go to mass or compline within, and presently his heart gave a great leap, for he saw the straw-enwrapped stove brought out and laid with infinite care on the bullock dray. Two of the Bavarian men mounted beside it, and the sleigh wagon slowly crept over the snow of the place, snow crisp and hard as stone. The noble old minster looked its grandest and most solemn, with its dark gray stone and its vast archways, and its porch that was itself as big as many a church, and its strange gargoyles and lamp-irons black against the snow on its roof and on the pavement. But for once August had no eyes for it. He only watched for his old friend. Then he, a little unnoticeable figure enough, like a score of other boys in hall, crept unseen by any of his brothers or sisters, out of the porch and over the shelving, uneven square, and followed in the wake of the dray. Its course lay toward the station of the railway, which is close to the salt works, whose smoke at times sullies this part of clean little hall, although does not do very much damage. From hall the iron road runs northward through glorious country to Salzburg, Vienna, Prague, Buda, and southward over the Brenner into Italy. Was Hirschvogel going north or south? This, at least, he would soon know. August had often hung about the little station, watching the trains come and go and dive into the heart of the hills and vanish. No one said anything to him for idling about. People are kind-hearted and easy of temper in this pleasant land, and children and dogs are both happy there. He heard the Bavarians arguing and vociferating a great deal, and learned that they meant to go too, and wanted to go with the great stove itself. But this they could not do, for neither could the stove go by a passenger train, nor they themselves go in a goods train. So at length they insured their precious burden for a large sum, and consented to send it by a luggage train, which was to pass through hall in half an hour. The swift train seldom deigned to notice the existence of hall at all. August heard, and a desperate resolve made itself up in his little mind. Where Hirschvogel went, he would go. He gave one terrible thought to Dorothea, poor gentle Dorothea, sitting in the cold at home, then set to work to execute his project. 
how he managed it he never knew very clearly himself but certain it is that when the goods train from the north that had come all the way from Linz on the danube moved out of hall august was hidden behind the stove in the great covered truck and wedged unseen and undreamt of by any human creature amidst the cases of wood carving of clocks and clockwork of vienna toys of turkish carpets of russian skins of hungarian wines which shared the same abode as did his swathed and bound hirschvogel no doubt he was very naughty but it never occurred to him that he was so his whole mind and soul were absorbed in the one entrancing idea to follow his beloved friend and fire king end of chapter nine part two recording by dion gines salt lake city utah